Sometimes you're in places that you really don't want to be. As a student, I remember English class. <laughs> that was a place I did not want to be. I, and I have a little bit of a, you know, issue with English. And, and, and my issue was this. From kindergarten through 12th grade, you take English class. And you go to college, and you still have to take English class because you still don't understand it. <laughs> what is wrong with our language? that we, Or what is wrong with how we teach it that we can't figure that out? You know, we can't. We, you know, you'll take it more than you take math. You know, and at least you get advanced in math. But I don't, I, I never understood that a little confession. I think there's a statute of limitations in Ambassador. But I remember the English class that I sat in. I sat in the seat closest to the door. <laughs> and part of that was my English class was at 11 o'clock. And our chapel was at 9 o'clock, which is obviously different. But I remember, I remember my stomach would growl in chapel. And maybe some of you were there. But ours was at 9 and my stomach was growling. I was always, and I went to breakfast Every day, because I knew I was going to be hungry. And so I'm sitting in, in English class, and I was almost with a headache because I was so hungry. And I would mark tally marks on the, on the wall in the grout line of that <laughs> cement block. And I would put tally marks, little tiny ones, on, on the wall every day like I was in prison. <laughs> because I didn't like being in English class. And sometimes we're in those places... Uh, Forgive me, Mrs. Bailiff. Children's piano recitals. I, I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, I went to some piano recitals. And I thought, I'm only here for one kid. Can I leave <laughs> when they're done? Can I, come, can I come late so that I don't have to hear all these other terrible kids playing the piano? <laughs> Let's be honest, right? That's, that's the way it is. I just want to encourage them. I, I, I don't want to be here. They don't, these other kids don't know me. But there's places like that, there's times like that, that, uh, that you have to be in those places. And I want to tell you this morning that the place where you are is the place where God wants you to be. And maybe some of you say, well, I'm in some places in my life because of some sin. And, and, and oh, look, maybe, maybe the place of sin is not where God wants you to be. But the result of that sin, the place where is where God wants you to be because of your sin. If God didn't want you to be in that consequence, you wouldn't be there. But the place where you are, whether by purpose of God or by permission of God, is the place where God wants you to be. Turn to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14 Sometimes the place where we are is an emotional place. Sometimes it's a psychological place. Sometimes it is a geographical, physical place. Uh, sometimes it's a spiritual place. But we are in places. We talk about that, the place in my mind, or place where I am in my mind. And maybe you're struggling with why God has allowed you to be where you are. And in Exodus chapter 14... Really don't know where to start except for verse 1 because you've got to get the context. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pi-ha-hiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-zephon. Before, ye shall, before it ye shall encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. 
And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. And he took 600 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel, went out and the children of Israel went out with a high hand. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them, the, encamped, the encamping by the sea beside, this is that word again, pi ha Hiroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians that we should die in the wilderness. They did not like where they were. Even Pharaoh said at the beginning, this is not a good place. They're going to be entangled in it. This is actually good for us. But they didn't want to be where they were. I can't say that I would have told you that I wanted to have cancer. I can't say that I would have wanted to have, well, I can't say that. Once I got cancer, I said, well, this is of the Lord. What else could I say? What else could I? I've had people try to to argue with that, but I'm like, they say, it's not God's will. What do you mean it's not God's will? It's not my will. I didn't implant cancer in me. I didn't didn't do this on purpose. And and if you can say, well, well, the devil did it. Well, read your Bible. What the devil did to Job was only by permission of God. It is God's will what comes in your life. The place where you are is where God wants you to be. And that I had to come to that conclusion very early. Well, here I am. It's obviously of God. So what are we going to do about it? And I thought, well, if this is a test of God, if this is a, a purpose of God, then let's get our money's worth out of it. And I told one of the kids in my youth, my, my father-in-law, he's a pastor, and he prayed that, that I would not have chemotherapy. And I told him right away, I said, look, that's, that's, it's going to happen. <laughs> and it's, I told a kid in my youth group that when I was a youth pastor, I said, look, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And sure enough, they, they thought they were going to give me two drugs, and they decided to give me three, which is um, what they would normally give to people with pancreatic cancer. And if you have any familiarity with that, you have a very low survival chance with pancreatic cancer. Not that my survival chance was low, but they said, you're young and quote unquote healthy, and so you can handle this. You know, it wasn't a surprise because I thought, well, this is what, this is what God has. And, and I don't know the exact purpose. I don't know that I'll ever know the exact purpose. But I know that the reason why is God. I know that the reason why I am where I am and that I've gone through what I've gone through. Uh, radiation. I was told radiation's a breeze. You won't have any trouble at all. And then I was told, you're also going to have a, a chemo pill, which I was taking, I think, over 3,000 milligrams a day of the chemo pill, and it's supposed to assist radiation. And they say 9 out of 10 people has no, have no side effects from the chemo pill. And I'm the one. <laughs> I'm the one out of 10. And uh, radiation was, is, not, is not 
comfortable. Uh, the, the process isn't, but the after effects are, I'll just say, extremely painful. The chemo pill, I felt sick every day that I took it. Uh, t- extremely tired. Felt I, I, <laughs> I would hunt because I'm like, well, you're not doing anything else. And if you can sit still in the house, you can sit still in a tree. And so I'd go sit still in a tree, and, and uh, at least once I threw up there in the tree. I was just so sick. I was just like, I text a friend. I was like, do you think uh, deer don't like the smell of puke? <laughs> and I said, we're about to find out. Seconds after I texted him, here comes this little tiny buck walking through. And I was like, well, it doesn't bother him. Uh, but that's just, that's the place where I was. Uncomfortable. Sometimes the place where you are is disappointing. Now, at the beginning of last year, we kept saying, we don't know why. But we just had the biggest year we've ever had. And here we have the smallest year we've ever had. Why is this year so small? And we, and we try to come up with answers. And then all of a sudden there's this diagnosis. Oh, <laughs> this is why. This is why. At the same time, you say, why, Lord? We were just getting started. We, just, we felt like uh, you know, we were warmed up. We were ready to go. We had this vision. We had things happening. And, and now we feel like well, we were put on the sideline. And, and some pastors are like, well, you're going to be out for a couple of years. No, 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 no. Don't think that. <laughs> Don't think that. You know, just find out. Just call me. If you want to schedule, we can make that work type of thing. But that place, the place where you are, it's where God wants you to be. It is a place of uncertainty. It is a place of disappointment. It is a place often of pain. It is a place of need. It is a place of questions. It is a place of fear. It is a place of difficulty. And that's where they were. Like, Lord, we can't last out here forever. We can't. If we're supposed to be on the move, how are we supposed to plant crops? Lord, how are we going to protect our children? We've been slaves. We don't have weapons. They've got chariots. Lord, we're... You brought us to a dead-end street. There's this sea. We can't take all of our stuff through that water. We'll all drown. We, can't t- we don't have time to go around it. We can't outrun the Egyptians. We're stuck, and you brought us here to die. Didn't we say it'd be better for us to be there? And they were afraid. Maybe it's not fear for you. Maybe it's some other emotion that you're feeling. Why am I where I'm at? I'm sure that Joseph thought the same thought. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, okay, you've got brothers and sisters. I, I think only the Cuthbertsons have like 12, right? Something like that. <laughs> so you've got that many. What, what if they all hated you, right? What if they all hated you and sold you into a pit? What if your family sold you to slaves after they threw you into a pit and, and you could hear them and they're talking about, they're going to kill you. What is that? And then you're sold to people, you don't speak their language, and then they sell you to somebody else, and you don't speak their language. You're in a completely foreign culture, in a completely wicked culture. You are an absolute, complete slave. You don't think that's disappointing? You don't think that's like, Lord, you were giving me visions. Lord, this, my dad loves me. Why am I here? I was trying to obey my dad and find out where they were. Lord, I've not done anything wrong. And so he, he still faithfully says, well, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And, and, and in the process, he's accused of doing wrong. When he says, I can't sin against my God, and so I'm not going to do this. Nobody's around to, to check on him, but he says, I'm not going to sin against God. He doesn't have a Bible to read, yet he says, I'm not going to sin against God. And yet he's thrown into jail, maybe permanently, except for the dreams. 
And then he's forgotten when he, when he gives the interpretation to the dreams. Years and years, decades go by. And I think, man, what a terrible place that he was. Think about Israel in the wilderness, 40 years. You know, some of those kids grew up 40 years for their, for their parents' sin. You know, it's the, Lord, I believed you. I wanted to go in, and now we're stuck here. Caleb and Joshua, they're the ones that said, hey, we can do this. And they have, Lord, I'm stuck with all these people. Why don't you keep them on the outside and bring me in? You know, why don't you just go ahead and give me that mountain today? I don't like this waiting. I don't like this difficulty. I don't like this pain. I don't like this place. Nobody, you, know, you know why it's a wilderness? Because nobody wants to live there. <laughs> Yet they lived there for 40 years. Elijah, here he is, rip-roaring for God. Goes straight to the king and says, it's not going to rain for three years. And God says, good job. Now go sit by a brook and I'll feed you with a dirty bird. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Can you imagine Elijah? I mean, he doesn't have the retrospect that we have to say, hey, we need more Elijahs kind of thing. But here he is like, I'm a preacher for God and I'm stuck by this little creek day after day after day after day. You know what preachers want to do? They want to preach and not to ravens. You know, they, they don't want to do that. And preachers don't want to eat twice a day either, right? They, we want to eat more than that. And so he's got to be thinking, why am I here? God, you're using me. This is the time. We're in, we're in this drought. People are in need. They're going to listen to preaching. Lord, use me. But there he is in a place of need and waiting. Daniel in Babylon. Man. Taken from your parents. Maybe they were killed in front of you. I don't know, some of your friends might have been killed and yet you are dragged there and your body is most likely mutilated. Yeah, that's no fun. And now you're a slave and everything about you has changed. They're going to change your clothes and probably change your hair, probably going to change your language, change all your education. And you are going to be a slave for this guy who ordered the killing of your friends and family for the rest of your life. And while you're there, you really only have three people in your life that care about God. Probably hundreds of others that you knew and you know that are bowing the knee to idols. But you're stuck. You've got pressure. People want to kill you. People want to throw you into a den of lions. People want to get rid of you. People want to test you and tempt you and try you and persecute you and all those things. But there you are, waiting. Lord, why am I here? Why this difficulty? I think about some of the testing. Maybe it's not a physical place, but it's a spiritual place. It's an emotional place. I think about Abraham. Take your son, your only son Isaac, and sacrifice him. Lord, that doesn't make sense on multiple levels. This is the one that you told me. That, that he is the promised seed, that through him you're going to continue these promises. I don't understand. You made me wait forever for this kid. And now I've got to kill him? That's against the moral law of God. What do you mean kill my son? This is, this is God saying, how much do you trust me to the point where I'm going to break down your own theology that I am asking you to kill him? That doesn't make sense. That's a bad place to be. I don't know the conversation that went between Abraham and Sarah. 
You know, you think, you think Isaac was the first one to realize there's no lamb going with you? Yeah. You know, maybe there was a discussion. Maybe he was like most husbands and like, well, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> you know, maybe he wasn't planning on coming back home. I don't know. <laughs> the confusion, the fear. I think of Job's tragedy. Job, I, I really believe that God orchestrated the events of Job to such an extent that no one can say, well, my life was worse than his. So that all of us can identify with Job and say, look, if Job can get through it, if Job can trust God, then so can I. But where he was, he trusted God to the point where he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He's taken everything that I've got. He's taken my health. And yet I'm still going to trust God. God knows where I am, regardless of whether I know where he is. I'm still going to trust God. The loss, the sadness, the tragedy. The place where you are is the place where God wants you to be. You know, in these places, we can still find joy. We can have that. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit's with you always. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, you can be content. And that's what Paul said. I have learned that in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Paul had been in a lot of places, a lot of bad places. Paul was in, in, in states of death, right? They left him for dead after stoning. I don't think any of us wants to go through that to find out, can we be content? And Paul said, yeah. I've been a, I've been a prisoner on a ship. I've been shipwrecked. I've been, I've been beaten. I've been whipped. I've been all those things. And I've learned it's okay. I can trust the Lord. He's going to take care of me. He's going to provide for me because all these places of disappointment, of need, of fear, of, of doubt, of struggle, of weakness are also, go back and look at them, places of provision. God provided all the time. He provided for Elijah. He provided for Joseph. It's also a place of promotion. Every one of them. Abraham. Abraham from that point on was looked at as the righteous one. If, if he's with God, well, if anybody's with God, it's him. Because God said that he was righteous. It's a place of promotion for, for Joseph. It's a place of promotion for, da for Daniel. Why? Because they trusted the Lord. They said, Lord, I'm here because this is where you want me to be. And I'm going to trust you in this place. And God provided. And God did miraculous things. I, I love the story of Daniel. How that Daniel, as probably a teenage boy, was willing to be a vegetarian. I tried that for three days. I meant to do it for a week. But I couldn't. I, well, maybe I could have. But I, I was I can't do this. I was so hungry for meat. Squirrels were looking <laughs> attractive. <laughs> But yet he said, I'm going to do this and likely for the rest of his life or at least a good portion. He was willing to say, look, even if this is forever, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And God promoted him over and over and over. That's not necessarily why we do it. But just know that the place where God wants you to be is also the place where God is. It's the place where he is. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake thee. Thou wilt show me the path of joy. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
where he is. He's everywhere. You believe that. He's with you. You believe that. Or that place of difficulty, he's there too. He cares for you. God promoted all these because he was there, because they trusted him. So what's the plan? In that place, what's the plan? Look at verse 13. Moses said unto the people, fear not. Hey, that's a good plan. Since you're fearing, fear not. Stand still. That doesn't sound like a good plan. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you this day. For the Egyptians whom I have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you. You shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, wherefore criest thou to me? I, I think that is funny. God is saying, why are you crying to me? Speak to them. Speak to the children of Israel. What? That they go forward. Go forward. That's the plan. God always has a plan for where you are. He had a plan before you got there. He knew you were going to be there. And he has a plan for you. And maybe that plan is to stand still for a while and just see what God's going to do. And that's an okay place to be. Y'all, we want to put our shoulder into it and say, well, oh Lord, what, what can I do? I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. You know, uh, we want to get through it. We want to get past it. We want to get over it. We want to put it behind us. And God is saying, yeah, but there's something here that I have for you. And what is that? So you can see me. So you can stand still and see what God's going to do. So you can stand still and just watch God work. And it, and it may not be spectacular. Jake and I were talking about this last night. We want to be like Elijah. We want to be there and see the earthquake and, the, and the, the great wind and the fire. And God says, sometimes it's the still small voice. And you've got to sit still to hear that. You have to be quiet. You have to, you have to shut your mind off to your own words. Because you're going to tell yourself things. And you're going to listen to what the devil has to say. And, and, and maybe it's going to come from other people. But you have to say, look, I am where God wants me to be. And maybe right now, God just wants me to stand still and trust Him. Stand still and, and look to Him. There are no surprises with God. God is never shocked. You may not know how long you'll be there, how long it'll take. You don't know what the plan is. You don't know how difficult it's going to be, but you just sit there and trust the Lord. When you're there in that place, there is something to learn. Verses 11 and 12 give us that. This wilderness, isn't it, wasn't it better? Wasn't it better in the wilderness or in Egypt than in the wilderness? Why did you do this for us? And Moses says in verse 13, fear not, stand still and see. Why? Because of the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you this day. There's something for you to learn. And what you have to learn is something about yourself. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you, but he, he does want you. He wants to use you, but he wants to use you trusting him. Not off on your own, not, not running roughshod, but under his training, under his hand, he wants to use you. And you have to learn, look, I am weak. You know, some of what this is, I know an, another, another evangelist actually that has stage three colon cancer. Exactly the same. It's funny. I don't know if it was funny, but a guy scheduled me for a meeting and I told him, this was early on when I found out, and I told him, I said, look, I think I'm going to be okay by then, but 
I don't know. And, and I told him, and I think it's, I think, I don't know, it's probably next year. I said, look, I have stage three colon cancer, and so I'd love to schedule that, and I'd like to put it on my calendar, but I'll try to keep you posted. It's, it's long enough in advance that we can do that. So he said, okay. And then he, uh, he a couple months later, he thought, you know what, I better, I better get some insurance. And so I'm going to call another evangelist and, and book him. In case, you know, just in case this other guy can't do it. So he called that guy. He calls me back. He said, look, I'm not calling anybody. He said, I called him and said, can, can you be my insurance policy in case this other guy can't do it? And he said, well, I would, but I just got diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. <laughs> and he said, I'm not going to call anybody anymore. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he, this other guy said, this other guy said, in my weakness, God is teaching me things. And in my weakness, God is teaching others things. And I have to be okay with that. You know, for some of us guys, we don't like the idea of weakness. We don't, we don't like that idea of looking at the end of the driveway and saying, I don't think I can walk that far. Walking out there and thinking, I better get back. Because I'm weak. I have nothing. You know, I, there's times because of the chemotherapy, I couldn't think... You know, you think a lot of times, oh, if I get the flu or something and I'm sick, I'll just read or I'll, I'll watch TV or whatever. And then you get sick and you're like, I don't want to do anything. Yeah, try that for four months. Where, yeah, in the worst sports time of the year too, by the way. There's no football on those first couple months. <laughs> There's no basketball on those first couple months. And I'm sorry, but watching baseball, I'll play it, but I don't want to watch it for anything. We don't like that weakness. We don't like that feeling of inability. But God wants to put us there so that we can see that we need Him. But also, one thing we can learn besides us being weak is that He is strong. When you're sitting on the sideline and God is doing everything. You know, early on I said, well, Lord, I'm not going to be able to work. I'm not going to be able to go and preach. I can't travel if I've got these treatments. I don't even know how I'm going to feel, but I can't come back and go forth and go back and go forth. And I don't even know how I'm going to feel. I don't know any of that. I, I learned that I wasn't going to be able to physically work. And I'm like, Lord, this is going to be expensive. Not, not to mention the fact that I don't have uh, disability insurance. I don't, I don't have a, a regular paycheck. I don't, I don't have any of that. Lord, I, I was like, well, I'm not going to worry about this. I, I told Lord, I was like, look, you ordered it. You're paying for it. I'm not, and you know what? It's, it's been more than you could imagine. Well, I mean, not more than you can imagine, but it's been more than I imagined. It's, it's been something that God's like, you don't have to worry about this. People that I haven't seen in 20-some years that I'm not sure are really walking with God. And they care enough to send money. People that I don't know. People that I've never met. People from all over the country, maybe, I don't know, maybe all over the world. I don't know. How does that happen? Because it's the hand of God. Because it's the hand of God. You know, we had uh, an insurance plan, but that insurance plan was going to be limited. And it was like, well, how is this going to stop at some point? And we're going to have to pay for it. And, you know, God organized for us to be able to get some insurance that's better than what we did have. Something for you to learn. That God is loving, God is powerful, God is good, God is there. Something for you to leave. He says, you're, you're these Egyptians, you'll not see him again. You're not going back. You're not going back to that place. You know, sometimes God puts you in these places because there's something you need to get rid of in your life. 
Sometimes he's doing that. He's taking it away from you. You know, this is part of chastisement and scourging. This is part of purging. That God puts you in a place. You know, you think about that branch that's, that's being trimmed. That, oh, that branch is bearing fruit, but I'm going to cut it off so that the branches that do remain can be more productive and have better quality. And I was listening to a message by David Jeremiah who also went through cancer. Somebody had sent this to me. And in that message he said, the father is never closer than when he is purging. Have you ever seen somebody prune a plant? How delicately they handle that plant? The care with which they have for that. My, my wife loves plants. She actually has a shirt that says, I love plants. <laughs> I don't love plants. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're, they're, they're nice. You know, they're, they're okay. But like, I don't really care. My daughter's obsessed with succulents. Like, I didn't know what succulents was until a couple years ago. I'm like, it's a cactus. Like, you know, get over it, you know. Try to come up with this fancy name so it's nicer. You know, but, but they care about these plants and they're like, oh, look what it's doing. And, you know, I've heard people talk to their plants, you know, and I'm like, what in the world? You know, they, they live, they die. That's, that's what they are. They're like, they're like a cheap pet. But there's something to leave. And sometimes when God is purging those things out of you, you have to know he's here too. He's close to me. There's something that you can, there's someone that you can lean on. Look at, look at all those guys. Joseph, who did he lean on? God. Was God faithful? Absolutely. You look at Job. Who did he lean on? He leaned on God. Was God faithful? Absolutely. Times 10. Look at Elijah. Did God use Elijah in the future? Absolutely he did. Why? Because he trusted him. Look at Daniel. Did God use Daniel? Yeah. Daniel is phenomenal. Daniel in 12 or 13 chapters wrote some of the most amazing things. Things that we're still looking for. Things that we're still like, I don't know what that means, but... Wow, because God was good to Daniel when Daniel was faithful to God. Being faithful is trusting God over time. Trusting God over time. That's what this is about. You don't know how long you're going to be in that place that God has put you. And you may not like that place that God has put you, but you have got to trust him in that time. Remember where you are, God is there too. Trust him. In that purging, what is he telling us in that passage? To abide in me. You know what that is? That's a close trust. I'm saying, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to rest in you because I have, no other, I have no other choice. We were talking about that last night too. You know, people have said, you know, people are tempted to, to quit on God. And I'm like, for what alternative? What? I cannot think of anything that's even a close band-aid. You know, somebody might say, well, I turned to drugs. What, so you can forget about it? It doesn't change it. You're still in the problem. Same thing with alcohol. There are no answers other than God. There, there are not even close answers. You have to say, look, this is where God wants me. God's got the plan and I'm going to stick with it and I'm going to learn whatever it is that God has. That's exactly what we have to do. And thirdly, the path. The one that led you in is the one that can lead you out. There are no escape plans. There are no, well, I can get out of this. I can get out of under the thumb of God. Now tell that to Jonah. It goes from bad to worse when you run from the presence of God. It goes from bad to worse when God is doing something in your life and you say, I don't want what you're doing in my life. You know, maybe what he wants is purging or just some discipline in your life. Or maybe it's like Paul, that, that Paul said, look, I besought the Lord three times to take away this thorn in the flesh. And God said, no, it's there for a reason. I have blessed you so greatly with these revelations that if I don't put this thorn in the flesh, you're going to glory in yourself. 
So if I keep this thorn in the flesh, then I get the glory and my grace is sufficient for you. You know, if he had said, no, I'm not doing it, then God can't use that. Sometimes you have to go down that path and get in that place for God to use you the way he wants to use you. Are you willing to go through anything and to go to any place for God to use you the way you want to be used? That's a choice you have to make. Oh, I want to be used in this way? You're signing up for something. You put your name on the line and stay there when God puts you there. You know, there's things that God and I've had conversations over. I would rather go through cancer a hundred times than God take one of my kids. But if he wants to, they're his before they're mine. But if God wants to use me in a big way, and he might swing a big bat with all the love that can ever be imagined. Because that's who he is. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the only life worth living. Whether it's there, in that place where you are, or it's some other place. How do I... How do I do this? How do I follow this path? You know, sometimes the path, as Jake said last night, sometimes it doesn't make any sense. Well, I don't understand this. I don't understand why. Does it? I don't need to. You know, I look at Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott coming out of college was the man. If you read anything about who he was, if you read what he wrote, and they, and they say, like, he was Mr. Talented, Mr. Preacher Boy, that he could have done anything as far as that's concerned, and yet he decides to go to a tribe of 600 people and dies. And I think, you know, in a human standpoint, you think, what a waste. He could have pastored maybe the largest church in America. He could, I don't know. I don't know what he could have done, but according to the talent that we would see, we would say, yeah, this is the guy. And then you think, why did God take his life? That was part of of the plan that God used and is still using today in people's lives. It is incredible how God has used statements that he made so that he being dead, yet I would say easily he's impacted more people because of his death than he did because of his life. So how do I, how do I walk this path? Well, just like them, Obey God in what you know. That's going forward. I brought you out here to go someplace. Remember yesterday, the word what? Go. Like, look, that's all I've asked you to do. Go. Go forward. Do what you know you're supposed to do. And secondly, trust God for what you don't know. It's that simple. You know, sometimes we look back and we're like, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I did enough because now we have this mind of theology that we didn't know before. You know, God just said, just do what you know to do. Trust me. Trust me for salvation. You know, that's all we had to do. And then we, we don't have to know everything that we know now in order to be saved. You know, you don't have to know everything that you're going to know in the future. Just do what you know to do and trust God for the rest. That place where you are, that's the way out. And God said, Go forward, but in the meantime, I'm going to do everything else in things that you never would have expected. And I have learned in my life that 
Before you see great miracles of God, you're going to have to obey to the point where there's nothing else you can do. That's where I am. Lord, I obeyed. And now we've got problems. And the Lord's like, that's not a problem. (laughs) That is not a problem. In fact, you're where I want you to be so that I can do what I can do so that the world can know who I am. That's what he said. And it says in the end of verse 4, and they did so. When we let God do what God wants to do in our lives and we stay where he wants us to be, God is glorified. And if that's all that takes place in our lives, what a way to go. What a way to go. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know where you are spiritually, emotionally, physically, psychologically, but you do. You know enough. You know where God's placed you. You know where you're struggling. You know that place. Would you trust God? Would you obey with the things you know? Would you not struggle against Him that you're being there and sit still and see the salvation of God? Would you do that? That's what we're asking today. It's that simple. You know exactly the place in your heart that God has touched. And you know exactly what God wants you to do. So go forward and do that.